Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. When I got to um, Josiah White's residential in Wabash, Indiana, it was uh, it was life changing to me, as um, I felt loved. I was in church six days a week, and I rededicated my life, and I felt so safe. And then. A year later, I was there for 14 months. Then they let me right back out to go right back into the same situation. I wanted to stay in church. So they actually took me to a church um, just right before I got out so I can meet some people. And they um, and I can remember pulling up and I was so excited. And um, so we walk in and we go to the youth service. And so we go to the youth service and uh, the youth pastor uh, was um, at the head of the class and he introduced me, but they avoided me like the plague. And I knew right then, it chokes me up all these years later. I knew that if one of them would have reached out to me, I so badly wanted to change my life no one reached out to me. Life wasn't perfect after that for today's guest, but she was eventually able to turn things around. We're joined today by Jody Ballinger. She is now an author and a speaker and sitting on Connections. She shares her testimony. Today's guest has a story that is heartbreaking. It's filled with agony, but it's also filled with redemption. We're joined today by Jody Ballinger. She is an author and a speaker. The name of her book is Beautifully Unbroken, The Prostitute's Daughter. You have an absolutely powerful story, uh, a story of transformation, and we're going to get around to that in a little bit, but we wanted to get to know you a little bit better. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and life right now. Okay. Well, um, I am a um, grandma of five, and um, I we have two children, um, Mindy, 35, our son's 30. Um, they both have families and, um, and we enjoy, um, speaking and, um, and so we travel often and I'm also a life insurance agent and a healthcare specialist. So very successful and it sounds like a very happy and joyful home, but that wasn't always the case for you. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and life growing up. Okay. So to me, I, um, I had, you know, you don't know any better as a child. Um, so to me, I had a really good life until, um, I was nine years old and I was coming home. I was in third grade, uh, coming home, home from school and there was a moving truck in our driveway and I walked in the house and the house was empty. And that's when my mom told me that she was leaving my dad and that we were going to move from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Cleveland, Ohio. So as a nine-year-old, I mean, no warning, nothing. Um, So we moved to her sister's house in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, And within a week, uh, they were major drug dealers. So within a week... At nine years old, I'm smoking pot, 
I'm popping pills and my life was never the same again. What was going through your mind? You're, you're nine years old for most nine year old girls were, you know, back in the day, we're playing with Barbies and Legos and whatnot. What was going through your mind? Like, I can't even fathom what was going through your head at that age. I was, okay, so um, they had children. So I had about four cousins that I immediately started, uh, you know, hanging around all the time. And so this was their life. And so it quickly became my life. And I I can remember um, wanting to go back home to my dad. Um, I remember that not being an option. And so I just started doing what everyone else was doing. Um, By the time I'm 11, uh, I am now fighting. Um, So now I'm in and out of the children's home, in in and out of juvenile. Uh, By the time I was 14 years old, I was doing meth. Um, And thank God, um, the county that I lived in actually sent me to a, uh, to what I call it referred to as a reform school. And, um, but it was a faith-based reform school. So we had to go to a church six days a week. That was life-saving to me. Um, I absolutely loved it. I could tell that they cared for us. And from nine to, so I entered that home when I was 15 and a half. So from nine to 15 and a half, I really like took care of myself. I, uh, I did not have the home of a warm meal waiting for me and all that. And when I could see friends, uh, friends around me that had that, that wasn't, I didn't have that. And so I ran the streets. I was partying all the time. I can remember in sixth grade, me skipping school for two months, two months in the sixth grade. Um, And so uh, I was, when I got to um, Josiah White's residential in Wabash, Indiana, it was, uh, it was life-changing to me as um, I felt loved. I was in church six days a week and I rededicated my life And I felt so safe. And then a year later, I was there for 14 months. Then they let me right back out to go right back into the same situation. So within a matter of a week or two, I'm doing the exact same thing. Um, Now, I can tell you that um, they did. um, They knew that I wanted to stay in church. So they actually took me to a church. Um, The pastors um, took me to a church in Muncie um, just right before I got out so I can meet some people. And they, um, and I can remember pulling up and I was so excited. And um, so we walk in and we go to the youth service And so we go to the youth service and uh, the youth pastor uh, was um, at the head of the class and he introduced me and they, I don't know what it was about me, 
but they avoided me like the plague. Mm-hmm. And I knew right then it chokes me up all these years later. I knew that if one of them would have reached out to me, I so badly wanted to change my life. No one reached out to me. I knew that day that I would never go to that church again and that I would be back doing the same thing because I wasn't accepted. And so I just feel like it's so important to let people know just a smile, go up to people, welcome them because it would have changed my life. But instead I found myself in women's prison within a few years of that, uh, spending six years in prison. Um, But I can remember being so excited and I'm going to meet new friends. I'm going, you know, I just really wanted that. And it didn't happen. We hear that all the time. A lot of our interviews, people who have had a rough life walk into a church and then they sit in the back, they sit in the corner and nothing happens. How can we as a church do a better job when it comes to that? And you know what? Since I am one of those people, I see new people and I think it's because I was there. Mm. I will walk up to them, thank them, you know, start talking to them because I know how it feels not to have anyone. So it still makes me cry today. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It impacted your life greatly. Did that affect your, okay, first of all, how was your faith in the midst of all of that chaos prior to you entering that school? And then your faith after that incident happened? Yes. Okay. So um, I can remember um, when I was about five years old, my mom started going to uh, church and I can remember loving it. And I can remember, remember the felt little people, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm in kindergarten and they're telling the stories and I can just remember really liking it. And I can remember getting baptized and me just loving, you know, that we went to church. Well, then something happened and we didn't go back. So when I went to White's and I had that feeling and I, uh, I knew that they really loved me. They they um, gave me attention. Um, and I was the girl that really needed that because I had just went six years without it. Mm-hmm. And so um, up, so five years old, we went for a short time. And I can remember, I love this. I love Jesus. I, you know, and then we didn't go, but I never stopped believing. Um, And then after spending a year at White's and then me going to that church and them completely not even talk, you know what I'm saying? Just disregarding me. um, I was so let down as a teenager. And I was just like, if they're not going to accept me, you know, I can't do anything about it. I went right. Matter of fact, I dove back in to the drugs, the sex, the all the stuff that goes with that, 
because that's what I've known since I was nine years old. Um, and then I can remember, uh, so Billy and I started selling drugs um, and our house was raided by a SWAT team. And um, they took our nine month old little girl from us and stuck her in foster care as they should have. And they uh, put Billy and I in jail. We bonded out. And at that time, both of us were like, we need to change. Uh, I, we need to change where we're living at. All of our friends were on drugs. We knew that we needed to change our atmosphere. And uh, so then at that time, we decided to move to Indianapolis, which was about an hour away. Now we live in Indiana. So we move about an hour away. We were homeless, slept in our car um, because we we knew that we had to change um, our friends. We knew we had to change everything. I, I got a job. Billy had to go to drug rehab. And shortly uh, within a week or two of me getting my first check, we were able to get an apartment. Actually, it was a house in Fountain Square, Indiana. And um, and so we um, were making steps. We knew that we couldn't stay in the county that we were in We or else we would be back in the same situation. And uh, we would talk about going back to church. We, because Billy was in reform school with me. And uh, so we would talk about that. We wanted that. And um, well, while he was in drug rehab, um, I was, I worked at a gas station and I was robbed at gunpoint two times. So he gets out and he says, if you're robbed one more time, you're going to have to quit, quit that job. Sure enough, I get robbed at gunpoint one more time. And so that next day we go in and uh, we're waiting for me to get my check. And a guy comes in off the street and says, uh, my cars, my truck's overheating. Can I get some water? I give him some water. He comes back in and he says, I don't know what's, what happened, but my car's fine. So, um, and then he overheard Billy saying, we need to go because I need to go find a job. And he said, you need a job? And Billy was like, yes. And he says, I'll give you a job right now. I do construction and I need a helper. So Billy was able to get that job right there in that conversation. Once Billy accepted the job, uh, then he said, can, by the way, can me and my wife come to your house tonight? We, <laughs> we, need, Strangers. No <laughs> we need no one in Indianapolis. Um, but like most people, we do want friends. And mm-hmm. so, and, and plus he had the hook in Billy's mouth. He just gave him a job. And so we were like, yeah, sure. Come over him and his wife came over to our house that night. His wife took me in the kitchen and him and Billy were in our living room and she starts ministering to me and she starts talking to me about the second coming of Christ. And I'm like, stop, get me saved right now because I just knew it was going to happen any second. (laughs) I rededicate my life sitting on the kitchen floor in our house and uh Jeff is talking to Billy and he's talking about the church and everything 
we started going to a little bitty church uh, in in Fountain Square. And uh, within probably three weeks, Billy would have the tambourine going uh, during praise and worship. Well, what they did not know, well, Jeff and his wife, we told them that night that we were that we had to go to trial in a few months uh, because our house was raided by a SWAT team. Uh, thankfully, they did not find any drugs, but they did um, find stolen property in our house. So we were um, so we had three class D felonies, uh, theft, receiving stolen property. Um, that we had to go to court within the next six weeks. Um, and we were taking it to a jury trial. Um, so when we went to this little church, their little church, we found out that their pastor was an Indianapolis sheriff. Oh, wow. And so, <laughs> and so we were like, okay, well, we don't want to tell him that we're in trouble because then he'll think that we purposely came to his church to get help. So we didn't tell him at all. And so we ended up going to uh, going to trial. We were found guilty of uh, all three class D felonies. And we were sentenced to six years. I was we both were sentenced to six years in prison. And so here I am, 19 years old, just a few months after this uh, at the Indianapolis Women's Prison downtown. Uh, facing six years in prison. Now, mind you, I was, I don't remember if you know, if you remember this or not, they used to do a scared straight program. And so I was 13 years old when I was in juvenile and they actually took a group of us to the Indianapolis women's prison. And that's where inmates get in your face and try to scare you into, you know, doing right. Well, that didn't work for me. <laughs> I went. <laughs> and um, so they were in in my face. And I left the Indianapolis Women's Prison when I was 13 thinking, I will never be in prison. Mm. And here I am 19 years old, only six years later, facing a six-year prison term. And so, but I had just gotten saved in a little church right down the street from that women's prison. And uh, so uh, we had visitors coming in and, and truly my life did change. Um, I went through some ups and downs as you can read in my book, beautifully unbroken, the prostitute's daughter. So I was in Indianapolis prison, women's prison. And, um, and so I was going to church, but I wasn't all in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. I I uh, I had just rededicated my life six you know six to eight weeks prior to that. Um, but on the other side of the state, Billy was in his prison, and he was all in. And so for that next two years, um, he um, he tr- I mean he wrote me every single day that we were in prison except for Sunday. And um, he really was that uh, stable guy that got into the word every single day. And in his letters, he's trying to encourage me. Well, after the first year, um, I thought God should have gotten me out. I had this time limit on God <laughs> and um, that doesn't work. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, 
in my head, that was it. And so, um, you know, I just kind of put the word down and I thought, you know, that didn't work for me. You know, he's not with me. And, but Billy has stayed in the word. And then uh, we ended up getting a, uh, the Indiana Supreme Court sent us back to court uh, to get a new hearing on why she gave us aggravated sentences for stolen property. And so when we went back, she let us out after two years. Mindy now, uh, when we got locked up, Mindy was nine months old. And um, when we got out, she was three and a half years old. Wow. We uh, were able to get custody of her um, because of Bill's faith and standing on the word and two full years of really digging in the word and just soaking himself in the word. We started going to church and I had to get back into it because, you know, just everything from the past and which took me probably a year to really let go and go, okay, Lord, I'm yours. You know, I'm completely yours. Um, And we've been living for the Lord ever since. And I'm just thankful for people um, that has uh, really given us a hand up because when we got out of prison, we, neither one of us had families that were, you know what I'm saying? We were not Mm -hmm. from close family. So it was really, truly him and I, Jeff and Diana, the guy that he met in and worked for at the gas station, they came to visit us the whole two years that we were in. Jeff's parents came to visit me every single week. I was in prison for two years and they just truly showed us the love of God. And I am still best friends with Diana, Jeff's wife still today. Um, And so I'm so thankful for people like that, that, even after we were out, didn't leave us hanging. You know, they, Billy went back to work for him when he got out of prison and um, really for people just to give each other a hand up. And we definitely needed that. Why is it so important for you to share your story? Because I know that there are other people like me out there that they've been let down by other Christians and they're like, Oh, they, uh, you know, I don't belong there because you know, this or this happened. And I'm saying go to church for him and not them. (laughs) And so, and, um, and it took me a long time to get over that. Even I still cry. When I think back about that, because I was so in, so ready to meet new friends when none of them wanted anything to do with me. And I was just like, do I have a sign on, you know, <laughs> like, why do they not want anything to do with me? Um, but I know there's so many people out there that has went through the same thing that I have. Um, and they need to know, you know what? There, find the right church because there are people out there that will accept you and will be your friend. Um, but go for him. You never know how one simple moment of just 
listening to someone or saying hi or, you know, even waving can change their life. Yes. Yes, that is true. And that's, and so I maybe go over the top on that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I see someone coming into the church, I want them to know that I see them. I want them to know, you know, I, we always introduce ourselves. Um, But yes, yes. Even if just someone looks over and smiles, Mm. I mean, to someone um, that is taking that step of faith to just to even come to church, they need that. Mm. Even if they say they don't need it, they need it. What would you say to some, you know, to that Christian out there that struggles with this, that doesn't know what to do in a situation like that, but wants to, to do, wants to be better at that, wants to make people feel that love. What would you say to them and how can they start doing a better job at that? Yes. Uh, just, just stepping out and um, almost stepping away from themselves and forcing themselves to do it. Because if you do it a few times, it's going to become normal. Um And some people are not that type of person. And uh, so we shouldn't expect them to be like me and all, you know, (laughs) but just for them, just to say, thank you. Welcome to the church or, you know, just a simple word or two, um, just a smile. Uh, You know, maybe maybe they need to work into it, Um, but at least smile, you know. Make the uncomfortable comfortable. That's right. Yes. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about your book, how people can get it and why they should read it. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, um, I, uh, I wrote this book in the, in the cover of the uh, book, I purposely made, uh, to where it doesn't look like a Christian book. Mm. Um, so, um, this book, um, you can actually give this to the unsaved people in your life. The people that you know are on drugs are just not in the word. And this is a book that they're going to look at and go, oh, wow, I want to read this. Um, so Beautifully Unbroken, The Prostitute's Daughter. Um, it starts off with my mom's story. And then it goes into my story and then Billy and I's story. And um, and the book, it, it's very, and we left, you can't put everything in a book. Um, we left so much out. Um, Billy's going to be writing his book within the next few years. Um, but it really is for uh, the people that have had a rough life. And it's also for the people that haven't had the rough life that want to find out because when you're reading my book, it feels like you're right there, right standing right beside me. And, um, and I'm getting ready to go uh, speak to some ladies um, and uh, they are young mothers. They're still in, um, they're still in high school and they're young mothers, um, but they're mentors. I, uh, their mentors are going to read my book. And um, and then I'm going to go speak to them because um, if you've never lived that life, you almost can't fathom it. Um, But if you read the story, 
most likely some of them, if not a lot of them, come from a place that I came from. And it, and it gives you better understanding um, if you've never been there. How does it feel to be on the other side of this now and to look back and go, you know, wow, that was my life? Yes, I am so thankful. And both Billy and I still almost on a regular basis say how thankful we are not to be in that life anymore. Um, it's, it's not an easy life. It's not a comfortable life. From the time I was 15 years old, um, I wanted out of that life. I, I, I wanted to figure out how do I get out of this? And, um, yeah. And, and our children didn't have to live that life. And now our grandchildren didn't have, do not have to live that life. And that right there is huge because it is uh, having to struggle every single day um, because you're on drugs, because you have made really bad decisions is, is a horrible life to live. And unfortunately there are a lot of people that have never seen the other side of that that they that's all they know and i hope that at some point someone can minister to them or give them a book like mine uh that shows them you don't have to stay in that lifestyle there is a way out and it's probably i mean uh, churches are right there in your neighborhood um but you know you have to make them welcome enough that's why outreaches are so important you know, uh, to have things outside, maybe in the parking lot, um, so that they don't have to walk through the doors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. To begin with, um, that maybe they can go to your outreach and then eventually go through those front doors. But it's okay. going to take everyone to welcome them and for them to feel comfortable enough to do that. For our listeners that want to either read your book because they're in that situation or they know someone that could use this, how can they go about picking up your book and learning more um, about you? It is uh, jodyballinger.com and uh, it is, uh, and then they can also um, go to uh, breakthegray.com or billyballinger.com and it gives them tour dates. It, it has a whole bio um, and they can find out more of what we do now. Beautiful. I could talk to you forever. Your story uh, is you. powerful and I'd love to spend more time in conversation, but we have to end it. So I appreciate your yeah. time and for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation with us. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Remember, don't forget to leave a review and rate our show. We'll talk to you again on Connections.